Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Week in Review. It's been a month since we've been carrying out this new podcast series now. Not many of the weeks have bore much positive news, mostly lockdown and free speech. And I'm not sure that the lineup this week is going to be too much of a deviation from that trend. But I'm sure some interesting trends will come out from it anyway. And I'm joined, as with the other episodes, by Luke Perry. Luke, how are you today? Oh, good morning, Curzon. Very well. Good. We've got you up bright and early today to record the episode, as we've all got, we've got yes. lives to be attending to afterwards. Yeah, as a, as a student, this is killing me. I'm sure it is. And by SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? Um, very well, Michael. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I, I prefer doing things like this early on. My mind is at its best, I think. Or maybe the, uh, maybe the listeners can take their own opinion of that after listening. We were just joking before you joined the call that um, as as this early, you were you were having to sprint to get your uh, papers this morning. Well, I've, I've decided not to get them today. Oh. I work at the I work at the local shop, and um, we we open at seven every day, and you can guarantee that there's a queue of at least five people, very dedicated, who are there to get the papers early on, or admittedly they're fags, but I wasn't among them this morning. Curzon didn't get his papers. England, England, England will fall. I know. There you are. Anyway, we'll start with you today, Sam. Uh, you've been particularly interested in the GameStop controversy of the war between Reddit and Wall Street. What have you taken from this affair? Well, for starters, I was, I was none the wiser while the bog that was happening. And then in the last few days, I've become utterly obsessed with the story. It's... It's the, it's the nearest thing we've come to an actual populist revolution in the Western world in the last four years. It's, uh, so to, to recap, uh, a hedge fund called Melvin Capital had a massive uh, short on GameStop, a company that was you know, doomed to fail even before lockdown. It's a, it's, a, it's a brick and mortar chain of video game stores. And um, Reddit, which is you know, the, the, the hub of all this stuff, noticed this and began uh, to to jack up the price by, by mass buying stock. Um, and what it really is a story of is the people playing Wall Street at their own game. And it's, it's kind of beautiful, really. Luke, did you have any stocks? Have you got any, any investment in this story or are you just a keen bystander? Yeah, I was a, a bit late to the party. <laughs> Had it had this been two three years ago when I was knee deep on these sites, I, I would have probably poured my parents' savings into them. <laughs> but um, so yeah, I, I heard this story sprout up on the internet, and I've, I have been a very keen bystander ever since. I think this story, though, for for all its good news, has turned to tragedy. With um, well, we all know the game was rigged. That's why the Reddit investors ploughed this so much money in the first place to jack up the price of GameStop. And uh, the um, Wall Street has bitten back. It, um, the Discord server for Wall Street bets was disbanded so that the investors could communicate with each other. And their reason for spreading hateful and discriminatory content. So the, uh, if there's any more proof that all this hate speech rules are, tra are a big Trojan horse to protect the elite. <laughs> Here's all the proof you need. Yeah. And the uh, Robin Hood app, in a violation of his own name, um, prevented users from purchasing GameStop stock. <laughs> and it, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's now the Sheriff of Nottingham mm. on the App Store. And it has, it's also been reported that it has um, even sold the stocks of its users without their consent, which has triggered a um, 
massive lawsuit in the United States. And um, it's, if you've ever seen the film Trading Places, it looks like that in the 21st century version, um, Randolph and Mortimer Duke have emerged victorious. There was a, um, a statement from Discord said that they've been, uh, they've been tracking this um, forum for a while and for, viola for violating rules, which, I mean, the timing is just it's so convenient, right? I mean, you know, they've been tracking it for a while and now that they've, um, now that they've uh, taken a big jab at Wall Street, that's, now's the time to, to close ranks. Well, it, 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 this reminds me, the way that Wall Street is angry about the um, Redditors um, buying the stocks, the way that Discord groups are disbanded and the Robinhood app is selling off stocks, the way it, it seems overly coordinated, almost like the Trump banning or the, the banning of Parler, where every organisation worth its name uh, just came together in cahoots and, and banded against the... Uh, the users, and I suppose this, in the way, is why it 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 strings well as a as a populist story of the populists against the elites. But at the end of this, do you think that the the populists have won or the elites, Sam? Well, <clears throat> I think what this has done is it's brought a lot of public attention to this. I mean, we've we've all we've all known forever that Wall Street is a rigged game. Right? It's you know it's uh, it's uh, it, it's a uh, it's an old boys club, right? But what this has done, I mean, th there are millions of people who, 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 have, who have jumped in on this, you know, and, and that's going to keep happening. I, I feel like <clears throat> now that this is, this is proven to be an effective way of screwing over these massive hedge funds, any company that is, that is shorting um, with, you know, quite scummy intentions is going to be targeted now. I mean, um, Melbourne Capital had to be bailed out, like, uh, as, as you were saying, Luke, before we started, uh, three billion dollar bailout this from from their friends in wall street but like but again this is this is this is exposure right mm. um i mean what if we didn't see this happening during the 2008 crash with people shorting the housing market then we're seeing it now what steps could wall street take to uh, try and prevent the the redditors or whatever form they might take in the future from gaining so much of an upper hand in the future? The most effective weapon that the elites have today, which is smear. Mm. Um, there was a Bloomberg headline that referred to this as, a, as, as an insurrection, um, as, as the GameStop insurrection, obviously evoking the, uh, the, the guttural emotional response to what happened to the Capitol on, on, on January 6th. Um, it, it, it's, you know, and... Uh, it's been painted as you know far right. Um, Blue Tick must have been saying this is a, this is a, you know, an alt right thing. S smear is the most powerful tool they have now, you know, because because with the internet, as as quickly as the freedom it offers is vanishing, it's still it's still to an extent levels the playing field. You can still invest on the internet if you want a, 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 a broker. Um, so yeah, I, I think just. Poisoning the well is, <clears throat> is is how they respond, but it, it does beg the question: Is the jig up now? Mm. And you talk about you know, Bloomberg and um, the way that smear is used. Now, of course, one of the the best proponents of smear in this time um, is the media. Luke, do you think talking earlier about the organisations seemingly in cahoots with each other, are the media playing a part as well? Are they 
happily joining up with the establishment types or well yeah i've, I've also been looking looking at the connections and um that the u.s media is basically a corporate media it is corporate owned it is um owned by very few very select people with very narrow intentions and um just read you some of the headlines business insider the gamestop thing is not funny it's stupid forbes telling us that um short sellers are in fact heroes and the reddit mob is just this uncoordinated mass of white supremacists and the new york times complaining that the wall street bets was propelled by a mix of greed and boredom now this is just the ultimate projection really of um that wall street have been caught out at their own game for generations wall street have um wall street hedge fund managers have um been shortening just to make a profit as it, people people made millions off the financial collapse 10 years ago and, and i think if they tried this 10 years ago on, on gamestop or any company it, it would have worked because the internet wouldn't have been as powerful and as accessible as it is now now information is so easily attainable the one person on wall street bets can post that okay this hedge fund manager is trying to destroy gamestop and yeah <laughs> they able to amass an army and um i think wall street's game is partly up they've won in the short term because they've rigged the market they've you know shut down trading on robin hood app but i think the long-term implications are just <laughs> it's not going to end, end well for wall street now that everyone knows what's going on and for interest of the story what i mean gamestop was a failing business in terms of shares which is why redis has took to it in terms of ramping up its value what has actually happened to gamestop now is it has its position as a company improved or um, has the selling of stocks by uh, Robin Hood app and, uh, and others tried to uh, reverse that, that uh, possibility? It's difficult to say because um, the, stock, the stock value of a company being inflated doesn't necessarily lead to its failure. Of yes. I mean, most of Silicon Valley are inflated massively before they even make a penny in profit. Um, so it, it's, it is difficult to say. What, what, I, what I will say is the, the act of shorting, the more I read about it, the more I'm disgusted by it, because it, it, it is the, the success of the, the short is presupposed on the company failing. Um, so it, it's, it's, you know, it's crisis profiteering. Um, and this is a company that's been around for decades. It's, you know, it's a, it, it, it was the, the staple of, of the American video game retail market. And obviously now it, with e-commerce, it can't really compete. So it may have bought the company more time um, but I think with just the way commerce is changing, the company is just done for anyway. It's just it, this was more of a defibrillator um, with, with, you know, <clears throat> added benefits uh, for those sorts of, you know, rookie investors. Hmm. Look anything to add on this story? Uh, well, I've, I've also been wondering the implications for um after it's not just for GameStop I think that will die as a company but um for, for the political side because of, of course Wall Street is not happy and when um the people who own the regulators are not happy they call for more regulations from the regulators mm. and um that that's what the corporate media has been pushing on TV they've been bringing people in telling them that oh there needs to be legal and regulatory repercussions and I also think the Biden administration is going to be a big doormat for the corporate donors because again we talk about the um, incest with politics with their collusion with big business elites and the US Treasury Secretary Janet Lennon 
received roughly a million dollars from the corporate owner of the Robin Hood app. And when the, when the White House press secretary was uh, asked about the GameStop thing from a reporter, she, the first thing she said was she was pleased to announce that the Biden administration has, it has um, the first female treasury secretary. So they're trying to use the identity politics just to sweep everything under the rug. It's, it's like why um, Occupy Wall Street ended. Because Occupy Wall Street, probably the most significant protest movement since the civil rights era, uh, against big business monopolies and collusion with government. And if you see graphs from the, the New York Times on um, using the words racism, systemic racism, sexism in their article it just exploded after the occupy wall street protests so you could get your tinfoil hats on but it's really a divide and conquer rule by this financial elite yeah i i, I did see a i did see a meme about that it was uh you know a, a sort of a, a, a fat cat in his office with like you know occupiers outside the window and he's on the phone mm -hmm. to, uh, get them hooked on corporate identity politics but one one thing that i noticed in this story is that it, it exposed something that us ordinary folk are told by the elite all the time, which is, you know, oh, why don't the poor just invest their money? Why don't the poor just save and invest? And then well, now they're doing that, and they're because, oh no, can't do that now. So it, it, it the, the the shallowness of of this sort of you know bootstrap mentality of you know oh you can get ahead just you know be smart, be prudent, and, and invest is 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 bull. Is part of that? Do you think the fact that people invested through fairly um modern means uh, you know people were gathering together and discussing the topic on reddit um rather than going through the traditional basis say sure yeah i mean if if it if it if it is to become decentralized i mean then the people at the top are going to lose their not only their seat at the table but, but the table itself um mm. you know, the, the the people who have you know been able to act in really disingenuous ways for decades now are, you know are, are seeing their gravy train you know to a halt. absolutely well i think on that note we should move to the second story and um this week we were told that the opening of schools reopening of schools rather has um could possibly take place on march the 8th uh, now, Boris Johnson's reasoning for this was that we will know the, the effectiveness of both uh, the early vaccine uptake and also of this lockdown by mid-February, around uh, the, the 20th or something like that, um, and that at least two weeks' notice should be given to schools before opening, which would mark the date as March the 8th. Now, one point which struck me as being strange straight away when I heard this reasoning was this isn't anything new the fact that we might know of the effectiveness by the 22nd of february and that two weeks notice would be given to school so why weren't we told this at the beginning of this lockdown rather than just now far in it seems rather strange to me but also um this of course is a provisionary date given that the vaccine is going well given that um the lockdown is going well in in the government's eyes and if we've learned anything over the last, it must be almost 11 months, is that this never happens. Um, the vaccine rollout seems so far to have been quite successful, especially compared to um, some European countries, um, with which there's big controversies at the moment. But we can almost guarantee that by February the 22nd, 
a new variant will have been introduced, which the government is fearful of, um, almost surprised of as well, as though viruses don't mutate. Um, and that people will be told that they haven't complied with the rules enough so that infection numbers are still too high in order for it to be safe, that we start to slowly come out of lockdown. I've no doubt that the March 8th date is going to be broken and pushed back much, much further. And this, of course, is just for, uh, of, just for schools, never mind other workplaces and, of course, social areas like pubs, which we'll talk about soon with Luke. But Sam, what do you think um, this, this news might bear for young people, people who are attending schools and who are eager to get back? Oh, I think the most obvious thing is that you don't learn as much at home as you do in, in a classroom. That's the most obvious thing is that, you know, um, luckily we never had anything like this when, when we were at school, but I, I can imagine like, you know, at home, I, it, it, there's, it's full of distractions, especially if you're, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. Um, and another thing is it, it again, it, it highlights massive inequalities of, um, of, of wealth. I mean, it, it, I'm sure it's fine if, if you're affluent and you can afford a, a nice new laptop and you can, you know, have a you know quiet, comfortable room to go and study in away from the rest of your family. But if you're, you know, if if you and your family are, are cooped up in a small flat and you can't afford a computer, um, you have to you know learn from your phone or whatever. I mean, it's 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 going to stunt your education and, and the people who are really being hurt by this, as with everything during this this crisis, is is the, the working class. Another thread on that as well. Um, now, of course, there's the the inequality you talked about um, whereby people can't afford, afford certain technologies um, but of course as well as this a lot of parents um, through the lockdowns are either on furlough and so are earning less money than they might otherwise be and for families who usually sort of run by a thread this is very difficult um, others have simply lost their jobs uh, people aren't able to see friends and family there'll be the stress of that mm. um, home environments aren't going to be even at the best times as you say um, perhaps always as suitable for um, education at sort of the secondary or the level uh, as the home will be as the school will be sorry but especially at this time where home environments are going to be increase, increasingly strained we've had plenty of statistics recently about mental health where uh, those who aren't in work or training at the minute simply can't uh, feel as though they're able to cope with life Mm. These people aren't going to become the best teachers for their children who themselves, uh, one six of whom are now struggling with mental health, some of the latest polling has said, due to the lockdown. Luke, what do you think the long term impact of this may be? Once schools are open on, on March the 8th, if they open then, if not later, the issue will be sort of shoved under the rug, I imagine. We'll say schools are back now, and let's just focus on that. But are there going to be some long term impacts on this uh, school closure which are going to stay with the children? Well, certainly, um, I think for the students themselves, besides mental health problems, they're um, going to, uh, well, it's going to exasperate, they're going to enter a ruined job market, they're going to still have this culture of hysteria about diseases, and uh, regarding the grades of people taking the GCSEs, A-levels now, their grades are going to be overinflated, that um, they won't be able to... Um, latch onto the next rung of the ladder, be that university or, or an apprenticeship. We saw that last year. The, um, their grades, well, the, the GCSE grades, despite no one sitting exams, was the best they've ever been. 
Yeah. And I'd refer to this as, as the asterisk generation. You're going <laughs> to hand an employer, yeah, hand, hand an employer or a university admissions officer, all, all these grades you've got, these lovely, healthy A stars and A's. And uh, there's going to be asterisk next to you saying graduated during COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's going to um, it's going to affect people for life, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Especially if they, especially if they can't get anything quickly out of school, which, given the job market, would be very unlikely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can see this now: the the exam fiasco that you talk of being a great argument for and an excuse uh, for those who want to abolish exams completely. Because next year, we're going to be told of, and quite rightly, actually, um, the great disruption to young people's education. Even in 10 years' time, people will say, well, hang on a minute. When the people who are sitting their A-levels now were in primary school, they were actually at home and weren't learning properly. And so their, their ability to take passing exams now is, is stunted because they weren't doing SATs properly or weren't doing this mock or that mock. And having as we do a, a useless Conservative Party, which cares not a jot about proper education. Um, I can well imagine they're just folded this. Labour, I'm surprised, aren't already proposing that we get rid of all exams. I'm sure that some, some of their members are. Um, but that seems likely to be a reality uh, in this country to me in about 10 mm. or 20 years' time. Mm. Well, and the impact as well on, on the parents, sorry, so must, must be very difficult, um, for those again who are losing work earning less and then have given been given the extra job of ensuring their children are are being educated and in some cases acting as the educator almost on a full-time basis the stresses of this must be causing must be immense at this time hmm. well this, this, is what we were, this is what we were saying last week i mean the the average the average respiratory pandemic lasts about two years right the the hmm. disease obviously lasts two years but the 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 um the consequences of you know the the response to this pandemic is is going to last decades in in economics in education in, in mental health and um going back slightly to to the actual being a school thing i've i've got a story here from a, a level student in manchester who um due to uh home uh circumstance is able to actually go into school but she's still not being taught in a classroom they um, they sit in an office and do Zoom lessons. I've seen that. Yeah, I I know of someone. Um, my partner's uh, sister has has friends who have been doing the same. So the children of key workers have to go to school because their parents aren't at home to look after them. But even when they're there, the teachers in some cases of their classes might not be at school at the same time mm. because there's only certain teachers in to make sure the kids are being looked after, not to teach them. So as you say, they're sat in an office still on Zoom. It's incredible. Yeah, the um, there there are questions to be asked of the the teaching unions who have lobbied um, to to not go back into work. I mean, there's a safety element, sure, but I mean, if if they you know if you have very small classrooms that you can easily distance, I mean, you you could give teachers you could give, give kids a, an actual lesson. But, it, but then it goes back to this this, this strange perversion of of a um, sort of utilitarian way of approaching it, where no one is allowed to have it better than anyone else. You know, um, yeah. You know, some some if some kids are able to go to the classroom, oh, that's not that's not allowed because they they can't have there can't be any, any disparity there. So um, everyone has to go into this uh, this subpar form of education that's going to hurt them. 
something as well which strikes me is that um, when children do finally get back to schools, it's going to be interesting what those classrooms are like at this point. It's all going to be very sanitised and, and clean and I suppose you could say inhuman. Uh, it it may, may well be the death of the handouts and I can imagine this being a good excuse for technology to have a further increase in the classroom. We can't hand out um, you know, different documents now uh, because of the risk of touching each other and all this and you know, spreading the disease. Instead, everybody can have their own iPad and use Google Drive and share documents in this sense. Um, and I've seen the mail uh, supported by the Prime Minister and by Keir Starmer, uh, apparently the leader of the opposition, um, starting a campaign to make sure that children across the country are given more and more technology, iPads, laptops, in order to help them learn. Now, I, I understand the reason. I suppose this goes back, Sam, to what you were talking about earlier of, of the inequality due to wealth of how different people will be able to learn. But I don't see why it all has to be technology-led all the time. What the big advantages of people having an iPad when they go to school, I don't, I don't quite understand it. Surely giving out textbooks and books generally relating to the topic in English literature, you could provide a good array of books and in history the same. Um, but of course, the answer is always technology. And I can see that ramping up as children go back to school. Um, Luke, do you think it's even likely, as, as we hinted at earlier, that schools will go back on on the 8th of March or do you think this is going to be yet another deadline broken? Yeah, I think it's another deadline broken. All, all, all the others were broken or if they weren't, another lockdown was quickly instated a week later. Mm. And the thing, I know that the government will they'll certainly blame either a new variant either from Brazil or South Africa, despite not shutting the airports. And um, Incredible. That, that's just crazy. <laughs> It, 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 even in a pandemic, the Conservatives don't want to close the, close the borders. Well, and, Boris was um, this big, nasty populist, wasn't he? Anti-immigrant. God, he yeah, talked about yeah. burkas like letterboxes. He must hate foreigners. Yet here we are, as you say, handed the golden opportunity to do anything on borders. And he sits back for a year and then says, yeah. oh, maybe we'll close them now. Fine. <laughs> Nonsense. Yeah, and, and of course, the populace will be blamed for breaking rules and spreading the disease and, and but uh, it's, it's a kind of a catch-22 as the lockdown continues and people can't take it as as you said michael there's going to be more breaking of the rules mm. and that, that's that would just be in a negative feedback loop and um i mean with, with every with every new um with every new restriction as 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 the the fallout to this becomes more and more powerfully dystopian public consent is just vanishing. I mean, it's like every day we see a new poll saying, you know, oh, 75% of people in the UK support lockdowns. I, mean, I don't believe that. Well, I was talking actually to Michael Pissaris, who's written a lot on lockdowns for us, um, about this recently. And I, I started doing these YouGov polls when at university because I was attracted by the, the 50 pound reward after a certain amount. Um, oh, and I, it, takes, it takes forever though, doesn't it? It does take forever, but it's um, it's worth it at the end when you can get those those what twenty extra pints. But anyway, um, more than that, crikey! Um, I was looking at one of the latest of pollings, and as you say, it's always one hundred percent of people think the lockdown is great, and one hundred and ten percent think that anyone who breaks the rules should be informed against. Um, but when you click on, on the number of how many people take part in the survey. One of the latest ones I saw was about seven and a half thousand, really low number. 
um, considering this is supposed to represent the whole country. Now, why don't people like us, I've taken it back up again, conservatives, people against lockdown, whether they be on the right or left, whatever, start taking part in these surveys? Because whilst we see them as being pretty stupid, because as you say, um, when you see 70% of people agree with lockdown, but then don't personally know anybody who holds these positions, you just think, it must be rubbish. Um, but whether we take them seriously or not, the political establishment does take them seriously. They're printed every day in the newspapers the same way as the, the betting odds are printed in the Racing Post. And, and the, the government talks about it in their press conferences as, as excuses to move ahead with their policies. I can't remember which one it was, but it was something like three quarters support another national lockdown last month or two months ago and the papers were writing up about how ministers were using this as a pretext to go into further lockdowns and to bring in more restrictions so maybe if we were to add on to the figures of this polling you'd given that only seven and a half thousand people occasionally take part in these things it wouldn't take very many anti-lockdowners in order for the figures to quickly reflect if not our views than the national view instead mm. um but luke you were going to talk to us about the the months ahead we're talking about schools and the the deadline at the minute is march 8th likely to be extended uh, but as i said earlier this is just for schools what do you think is the road ahead for pubs other social areas clubs things like this well um i've looked at this um three-stage lockdown plan that the experts have put in front of our eyes and it goes that of march it sounds very soviet doesn't it <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> aren't we living there now? Yeah. So uh, and uh, so for March, the schools reopen, which we've kind of already established is very shaky. If that happens, um, April would be non-essential retail, and May finally responsible for only three percent of COVID infections, the pubs. Mm. And uh, this was um, part of a, a phased reopening, and we've had a. Well, we've had phase reopenings before, before the hammer of lockdown comes down again. But this would just be um, an extension of a lockdown disguised as um, a relaxation of the rules. And um, we, we were talking about investors short-selling um, businesses, hopefully, hope, hoping that they lose money and go bust. And we've, we've seen in this pandemic that um, financial elite made a killing off of lockdown. Jeff Bezos done very well. The supermarkets have done very well. The high street is now a graveyard. And uh, what's, what, what is there left to be open in April and May if, if the government does stick to this guideline, which that's the, I, I doubt, highly doubt that they will. That's the thing, and it's the most obvious travesty about this whole thing, which is, yeah, Sainsbury's and Green King and Spoons and Primark can, can afford this. But, uh, you know, a, 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 a mum and pup... Uh, store or, or restaurant is like or pub i mean how, how many are going to be are going to be open after this like how many how many are going to survive you know, in, in 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 my town uh, it happened in i believe october or november but there's a, a bookstore that was loved by the by the community it'd been there since like the 1910s and it closed it's gone and um it's, it, you know it's never coming back and you know and now, now, if you, want, if, you want, if you want to get a book around here, it's Waterstones or Amazon. That's mm. that's that's your choice, and and that's sadly, I I can't 
I can't not see that being the world after this, which is, you know, you have, you have, you have your choice of, you know, four or five monolithic corporations and that's it. One of the things about the pubs is that people have been so scared witless um, by some of the propaganda which has been out. I mean, some of the latest propaganda is actually hideous um, and quite insulting. The ones where it says, look into my eyes and say that your little bending of the rule was worth it, something like that, so that you're killing people. Uh, you know, we, we mock this or disagree with it, but some people, understandably, since it's everywhere, and if you're, if you're not... Um, looking into alternative views on this, then it's, it's quite easy to take the, this approach, have been scared witless by the virus, by the impact that their actions may have on the lives of others um, regarding the virus. I can see that when the pubs are reopened, finally, that many people just don't return to them for that reason. They're still going to be too scared to go out in public. They don't want to make the risk, even long after the, this virus has passed, when, as we've said, other health problems arise. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be difficult in that sense financially. With the whole pubs thing, is one thing one thing I noticed in myself um, towards the end of our, um, our generously given uh, but still limited freedoms was by you know by October November time I I kind of just couldn't be asked going to the pub anymore. It was too much hassle, you know. I I I I, yeah. I don't have the app. I I can't stand the app, and it's like you go there and and it's it's suspicious. It, it's it's um you have to like you know do all, all this all this procedure, and it, it takes the fun out. Just, you know, calling your friend and saying, "Oh, let's, let's go for a pint." You know, but now it's like I'll go for a pint. Oh, do you, do you have your Jack and Rose app or you know oh, I forgot my mask or that kind of thing? It's it's just it's too much hassle and um. One other thing as well that, that that's been happening in public life for a couple of years now is that um, fear is governing everything. I mean, there are vast ways of the public who are entirely governed by fear. You know, fear of there was a, such a visceral fear of Brexit that people on the Remain side couldn't even approach it objectively because they were, they were terrified of it. Um, it's the same with this. I mean, you know, are enough of is it, are enough people in, in this country just so utterly terrified that they'll, you know, sign the waiver and give away, give away their freedoms on, on our behalf? Well, say on pubs, going back to what you were saying about you got fed up with going to the pub. Now, I, you know, I hated it when you had to put a mask on just to go to the toilet to walk across an empty room, say, or had to go in one way, go out the other, make sure you stand on this side of the bar for a pint and on the other to pay for it, whatever. But one of the most... Um, serious points about the pubs I think is that of course you go to the pub with some people um, who you want to spend the evening with or you may go by yourself but the aim always after that especially in local pubs unless you're in a completely foreign place is to socialise with the other people in the pub mm. you, know, you go there and your, your uncle might be there as well or one of your old teachers one of your old friends from school or a work colleague and you move around the room you don't spend the whole evening with one person and I was thinking about this recently in relation to the Zoom calls which families have been taking part in. You know, you've got, you've got a Zoom call with 15 people on it, your grand and your, your uncle and your auntie and all this sort of stuff. And everyone is talking individually one at a time so that everybody can talk together. But of course, when you actually meet up with your family, if you've got a big social gathering, you don't all stand in a circle the whole time and go one at a time almost as though you're throwing a ball to someone and then listen. 
instead you break up into small groups and you say, oh, look at that person over there. You know, you, you have small conversations within and that's the, the, the proper way of socialising rather than being instructed to one at a time. It works the same with pubs. You don't go to a pub and spend the whole evening with one person. You talk to others. And it's, it's, it's actually horrible when you go to a pub in the, the, the COVID era where someone who you do know walks in and goes to the opposite side of the room and you're forced to just sort of look over, wave, shout the odd word awkwardly with people in the middle going, well, you know, I'm trying to, trying to listen here yeah. uh, to my friend. And then ignore them the rest of the evening because otherwise you might, you might break the rules. You might forget to put your mask on or accidentally put your COVID breath on someone else. It's such a hmm. hideous way of socialising, which I think will turn a lot of people off from going in the first place. Yeah, it, it, it's dehumanising. But, but again, it's like, you know, whenever there is a, a, a form of prohibition, people will just work around it. I mean, I, I, I was saying to a friend of mine the other day, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's only a matter of time until we start seeing, you know, speakeasies pop up. I mean, they, they, probably, they probably already have. Because, mm. because it, it's not enough to be able to hear someone's voice and see their face. I mean, over Zoom. It's not enough. It's not enough to go to the pub and it be regimented and you get walked to a table and here you sit. I mean, last time, last time I was in a pub, I, I, I saw a you know, quiz machine and I, and I felt like playing pointless on the machine. Uh, found the we'll show. have our own. Found the show. And, I, and I went to use it. Yeah, have, have, have a mask on, whatever. And then this bartender comes up to me and says, oh, you, you have to sit on a stool. I was like, why? This is part of the safety regulations. So if, if my head is slightly lower than it is now, it's COVID's going to go over my head. Does it exist at six feet, two inches in the air? Like, is that how it works? I mean, it's, it, it feels just so dehumanizing and it's so demoralizing. And you know, going to the pub on a Friday night was my, one of my favorite things to do. Just, you know, see, see my friends and, you know, uh, have a chat and, you know, again, break off and see people. And, you know, I live in quite a small intimate town where, if you are in the pub, you will see people you know who aren't in, in, in your party. Um, mm. And and it was like now we've like lost that irreversibly, at least for the, for the foreseeable future. I mean, all, all these rules in the pubs are, are so illogical, but the um, employees and the owners have to follow it. Otherwise, they could be fined ten thousand pounds. I mean, COVID marshals set up camping um, hubs that like they really are spies. And um, just proof of these illogical rules. Remember the curfew, where it, where it, COVID came out after dark, post ten o'clock. Everyone had to be indoors. Yeah, so it's, I called it the gremlin virus because yeah. it, it's just it's just it's just how it's such a chore because it's such these these illogical rules that have sort of no basis, have no logic to them, and. It's just put people off from going to the pub. And what you were saying, Luke, about the, the COVID marshals and the, the pub owners who have to go by the rules, I mean, they really take this very seriously. There were some areas where um, a COVID marshal was pretending to be a, a member of the public wanting a pint. And um, rather than using the app to do it, as was the pub policy or maybe national policy at that point, I can't quite remember, uh, this... Uh, disguised marshal was going up to the bartender saying oh just just get us a pint quickly will you you know i just want one pint you know you can serve me over the bar like this and the guy said no i can't do it i'm sorry it's the rules i know it's annoying i can't do it oh go on let me let me have one pint so finally he said oh well fine it's only one pint no one else is in the pub i'll let you do it he pulled him a pint 
gave it to this uh, this supposed member of the public, and then the COVID marshal went off and got the pub fined. Incredible uh, turn of events. It's really um, these people want the pubs to fail. It seems to me, um, which certainly doesn't help with their prospects. One thing this is, this has done is it's given all the little tyrants of the world their fifteen minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen I've seen people you know walking around pubs, you know, looking like that in the window, see if anyone's anyone's in there, you know, anyone's uh, in there yeah. after dark, you know. It's yeah, it's I I I feel I feel stressed walking around. I I don't I don't feel like like I live in a, a free country anymore. I turned turn on the news last night, and this is a big stretch. I'm not comparing this, but it did it did just make me laugh. Um, of course, the the leader of the opposition or the the wanting uh, opposition leader in Russia has been arrested on rather controversial, shaky grounds, and we saw the video of him pleading to be released and saying how undemocratic and totalitarian it was. And the next clip after that were the fact that two organisers of a snowball fight in Britain have been fined £10,000. No, I don't know. That doesn't ring like a, a free country. No, it's not quite opposition leaders being arrested, but just usual people having a bit of fun in the snow, throwing a snowball about, being fined ten grand at a time when they probably don't have any work, or if they do, they're furloughed, so they're getting 80% of it. It's going to damage their, well, ruin their financial stability. Yeah, it's like... Throwing a snowball. Yeah, it's like your, your your life is miserable, aberrated. You're worse off. Your kids are worse off. Your parents are worse off, and you're not even allowed to have it's just a little bit of fun in the middle of all this chaos. You know, you're not even allowed to have your silver lining. It's yeah, it, it, it's it's a really horrible way we're living. And again, as I was saying earlier, I think it's only a matter of time now until public consent just absolutely collapses. I think if if we see a mass hmm roll out and then no alleviation I think, I think that'll be the spark I want to think that spark's going to lead towards oh, go on Curzon well uh, sorry, sorry uh, that's a good, good question I, uh, I, I think just uh, civil disobedience I think there's going to be mass protests like, like, like in Italy right in Italy um well, compare Italy, Italy and Spain. In, in, in Spain, there were, there were massive protests, some of which turned violent. And in Italy, pubs just opened. And everyone was like, no. I, I, and and they, they stood up. And I think eventually the government backed down. Now, one of the, one of the points um, which needed to be fulfilled for the restrictions to be lifted, we were told a while ago, uh, was that there were no new variants of the coronavirus. Now, this makes it seem that the return to schools and return to pubs is never going to happen because, of course, the very thing that viruses do, quite famously, uh, and well-known even by non-scientists and the general population, is that they mutate. Um, I was reading recently that more than 4,000 different versions of the spike protein for the coronavirus, the spike protein being what uh, the virus uses to break into host cells in the body, um, have occurred so far, 4,000. Um, and a, an interesting article in the latest uh, New Scientist issue um, says that, thankfully, the, the coronavirus, um, its genome actually changes very slowly 
Uh, that's just the, the type of virus that it is. Um, and it's said to have a very good proofreading function um, that's good at eliminating errors within it. So I mean, obviously the whole point of evolution is that um, cells mutate uh, sometimes with errors which are unhelpful, but other times if it has um, plenty of mutations, they will be more beneficial for the, for the virus and, um, and mutation will increase. The coronavirus, this mutation level, because of its proofreading, is quite slow. But another point that it made is that the virus generally has been moving through society quite unhindered. Because we don't have very much of a herd immunity, because vaccines have only just begun to come out, the virus hasn't had that much to come against, if you see what I mean. It's had no reason um, to mutate very largely. But we could see now that um, herd immunity is increasing with people becoming less interested in the rules, but also uh, because of the vaccine rollout and people being more immune to the virus, that the virus's mutation actually speeds up. That is what um, sometimes professionals are suggesting. So it might be that at least for the first few months after the, the vaccine rollout in the coming months, um, and as herd immunity increases, there are actually more new variants of the virus, perhaps more dangerous new variants, ones which spread quicker, more transferable, or maybe even more deadly. So in that scenario, which is quite possible, given that whether it is more deadly or not, the virus will evolve, we could see lockdown being enforced for far longer than March the 8th for schools and for April uh, or May, as you were saying, for pubs Luke. And, you know, up until September, some people uh, and some writers are hinting at. And also, we, we, we've heard from, uh, I believe, Chris Whitty saying, you know, we, we may need, a, uh, he's saying, you know, we may need to lock down in December. You know, they're already planning for the next one before the first one's even, even you know, before the end's even in sight on the, on the current one. I think it's important that we keep up with this, though, because I think a lot of the problems are coming about because people are optimistic, uh, blindly optimistic. People are saying, oh, well, we've got the vaccine now. This will be the last lockdown. We'll be out of it soon. But the government itself is telling us that this isn't the case. It keeps on saying, well, actually, the figures aren't right for us yet. If there's a new variant, we won't come back. And as I've just said, there will always be a new variant. It's a virus. It mutates. Um, the government itself doesn't seem very optimistic that we're soon to coming out of this. And as you say, Chris Whitty suggests we'll be back in lockdown or at least under tough restrictions by next December. So why is the population rolling over to this? It shouldn't be. Um, we should, as you say, um, respect you know, those who want to take up rules, but make it clear that um, we oppose the, the long continuation of these rules, because otherwise, as you were saying, Luke, before, we're going to come to a stage where every time there's a slight cold or some form of new virus which appears, we're going to go straight to lockdown. We're going to jump straight into it, because... Um, unless people sort of oppose the, the infliction of these things with no end in sight until impossible quotas have been fulfilled, such as no mutations, it's going to last for decades, maybe not with the coronavirus, but certainly with the next disease or virus to appear as well. And, it, and if this becomes endemic, um, I, you know, it becomes, uh, you know, the, 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 the seasonal flu, this could this could irreversibly change our way of life for generations, hmm. and that's certainly the the implication now among those um, 
who are studying the, the virus most closely, that it will become a, a regular occurring virus. Hmm. It's also going to change the way how we think about the flu. And that, that's why Chris would be saying we might have a lockdown for the seasonal flu when we've never had one before and we seem to yes. cope just fine. So even if coronavirus is defeated, a new disease will come along five, ten years. And as, as now, um, people can consider lockdowns as successful because the diseases have their time and through herd immunity of vaccination, they become controllable. And just because all this carpet bombing tactics have worked and coronavirus is not a, well, not a threat as it once was, <laughs> it's just going to pave a very awful precedent. Now, another uh, very cheery topic we, we'd hoped to talk about was the, the implication that children might be used as spies in their homes against their parents, as informants against alleged terrorists, things like this. Um, I've, I've started reading 1984 recently, and we all know that, that 1984, like the Nazis, is something you just shouldn't bring up, bring up in debate because the charges you raise uh, compared to 1984 are one cheap, very easy to make, and also often overblown. But I must say it is increasingly difficult um, not to draw at least some parallels with the world now. I mean, the whole idea of vaporization, which you talked about recently, strung completely with what happened to David Starkey last year, I thought. Mm. Every position he ever had, every title, gone. Mm. As though he'd never even existed. Um, mm. And then of course, with, with, with child informants, we see uh, the, the way in which the Fort Police goes into the home. But we'll leave that cheery topic for next week, um, since being so early and our minds fresh, we've talked longer on each topic than we thought. Sam, what would you want to say? One, one thing to add there, and also you, you have a, an Emmanuel Goldstein figure in, in someone like Donald Trump as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Just lockdown sceptics in generally. You know, <laughs> these are the people you should hate. Yeah. Maybe we can do a, a, a two-minute hate session uh, next week where we where we talk about all the parallels. I'm sure we'd probably take a few hours on that and get quite a few complaints as well, but there you are. Um, thanks again for listening and thanks to, to Sam and Luke for taking part in this. And we'll join you next week for another Week in Review. <laughs>